It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Hey, it's Wheeler Walker Jr. Pussy King, the pop country killing machine. New podcast out. This is it. Something's fucked up with the vocals. Does this sound right to you? Um. Anyway, I'm going to keep this short this week. I had a, Our guest this week is this great guy, Chris Shiflett. He's the guitar player for the Foo Fighters and just put out a solo record that's really good called West Coast Town, produced by Dave Cobb, who did my record. Yeah, hold on. Sound sounds fucking weird here. He's also got a great podcast called uh, Walking the Floor, where he introduces a lot of country. He interviews a lot of country guys. He's I know, he talked to Merle Haggard before he passed away. I know he's talked to Sturgill. Um, trying to think who else. Steve Earle, a lot of good fucking people. So definitely check out his album and his podcast. Um, I was listening back to the interview, and man, I'm just stuttering like a fucking idiot. I mean, he's a buddy of mine now, but. I just don't know if interviewing people is a thing for me. I just just try to just you know calm down and uh, relax and uh, you know enjoy it more. And so I sound like a fucking idiot, but whatever, you know. I can't fix my uh, podcasting skills, but wow, 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 a little bit of Chris Chanson for you here. Well, it's hotter than hell outside right now. It's a hundred in the shade. With the sun beating down. God damn it. I've never heard a worse fucking song. Well, I can't fix that. But I can fix a drink. I can't fix my podcasting skills, but I can fix you a drink. What do you think Merle Haggard would think about this song? Turn on Fox News and CNN, same damn thing all over again. It's a good rhyme. Holy shit, that's the worst fucking song I've ever heard. I'm going to play it in every podcast. Anyway, we're getting ready. I'm kind of rehearsing now, getting ready for this big tour we got. I'm now going to go over every date on the tour, starting in Atlanta on July. No, I'm kidding. I don't have the dates in front of me. But go on my website and check out uh, the tour. It's going to be fucking rocking. If you don't get your tickets, then fuck you. It's your fucking loss. But anyway, like I said, I'm going to keep this short because uh, I talked with uh, old Chris for a while here and uh, had a good talk with him. It's good catching up with him. And uh, maybe you can score me some f- free food tickets, put that shit up on StubHub, make my money back from this album. Anyway, here's my Chris Shiflett interview. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Hey, I'm going to start it. I'm here with Chris Shiflett, finally doing some in-person interviews. Chris Shiflett, guitarist from the Foo Fighters and solo artist, mainly what we're talking about here, his new record, uh, West Coast Town. Indeed. I just forget. The, I knew it was named after one of the songs. I didn't want to name the wrong song, but uh, West Coast Town out now on... It's on Side One Dummy Records. Side One Dummy Records. Yeah. So I did, you interviewed me on your podcast uh, probably like a year ago. Yeah. And then you said after that you were going to Nashville and you were interviewing a bunch of people. One of the guys you were interviewing was Dave Cobb. Is that when yes. you met him? Yes. So you met him on the podcast and then yeah. he produced your record. 
See, yes. That, people he, don't talk about that shit about podcasts. Yeah, you no, meet people. It was cool. I, I don't even remember who gave me Dave's number. Somebody gave me Dave's number. And I cold called him. It could have been me. It could have been you. You might be responsible for this whole thing. No, so I cold called him and asked him if I could interview him, you know, for the for the podcast. Because we went out to, to Nashville and just lined, like, a bunch of interviews up. And uh, and so he was one of them. And it was, like, the week that he took over um, RCA Studio A. And so he was just in there. And we sat in the big room where you have recorded as I, well. No, I didn't. My... Uh, just as as a fuck you, uh, part of his deal when he signed when he took over Studio A was he had a block of time that uh, Paramore had already booked the studio, oh. and that's the only time I, I he had available to record my record. Oh. So Paramore fucked me over. What about the, what about your new one? Yeah, the new no, the new one is was recorded at his studio because that's that was what I'm saying. Paramore. Oh, oh. What okay. happened was my album was we scheduled it to record in la- last December. Mm. And this guy, uh, Chris Stapleton, took my I've fucking dates. Sure, I've heard of him. And apparently, he, he offered a little more money. And then we had to choose <laughs> to go to another date and uh, when Cobb was available. And he yeah. was available, but Studio A had already been booked for mm. Paramore. Oh, uh, okay. It was apparently a real popular fucking band. Apparently, yeah. Um, well, I, so, so yeah, because so from interviewing him, you know, that was the first time I ever like met him face-to-face because I just cold-called him. So And I was in that crazy room and... He was just so cool, and you know, obviously, I love his work, and um, and so not too long after that, you know, probably within a month or so of that interview, I just ca- called him again. I was like, "Hey, man, I got these songs, and I want to make a record." And it was uh, he just happened to have some time. Somebody had canceled or something, and some time opened up, and we got down to it. That's crazy. So you did it, you did do it at studio? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And and you know, and I knew that I wasn't going to be like bringing a band or anything and i talked to him about that before i went out there and i was like can you rustle some guys together and i think he even might have chuckled like yeah yeah i got it oh yeah he's got it. i mean so, i got it so basically our albums are both played it's probably same, half the same people it's you know, mine Brian was chris Moore. chris powell yeah um uh adam gardner played bass not brian i know brian he does a lot of his work too but it was adam gardner on mine it was um uh who uh, Mike Webb played the keys. He played on mine too. Um, well, what's he's in a band too. Uh, he's in like one of those called classic. Oh, is, bands. is he? I have to check. I want to say it's not like it's like Thirty Eight Special. You know, one of those. Oh, like, really? Old, not Thirty Eight Special. Right. One of those With old somebody bands. Like that. Who's like oh still no, around. I think did, was he not? No, no, I'm confused. I thought maybe he was. I think I talked to him about Deep Purple, but he maybe. Hold on one second. I got the fucking. I can figure this. The out. The magic device. Yeah, hold on. See, this is the part I'm going to edit out. You know what? Yes, this I'll, is I'll, the I'll, space. I'll, I'll probably keep this just because it's fun to listen to silence. Mike Webb, Foothill Family Church. That ain't it. That's not it. Webb, well, key. maybe maybe he's in the house band. That could be. Hold on. Oh, Poco. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's in po- he left a my. He did some keys on my album, and then he had to get get in a truck and get on a plane to go play some Poco days. Yeah, and he okay. looks just like a guy who's in Poco, which he is. <laughs> yeah. Which why he looked, you know. Yeah, um, but it, it was great. You know, I mean, it was it, that whole experience was so incredible for me, because um, you know I've I'm I'm used to making records sort of in my comfort zone. We have a studio out in the valley, you know, where I'm. You know, I know it well, and I usually usually it's just me producing the records. So, how many albums did you? Because 
I'm, I'm a little ignorant because when I met you, I thought, and you said you were going to do that record. I thought it was your first record that I found out laughed well, you. You'd done a couple. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like outside of Foo Fighter stuff, I um, I had a band for a couple of years called Jackson United that was more of like a rock band. Um, and then I did uh, a couple records um, with a, I had a thing called Chris Shifflett and the Dead Peasants. Yeah, that's and that the was, ones I, I yeah, that was the first time I kind of tried to, you know, the, for that first record, I didn't have a band. It was just like me and my friend Lou that runs our studio out in the Valley kind of putting the songs together and bringing different people in. But that was the first time I ever made a record that was kind of more acoustic-y based, you know, not, you know, more twangy guitars, more sort of like rootsy Americana sort of flavored stuff. Um, so, yeah, and then, the you know, the last... So what do you think is the big... Because, you know, obviously I grew up just playing in, in bands and it was a big move for me to, like, all of a sudden, like, be singing, writing my own songs. So what's what was the big thing you thought what was the big change for you from like playing guitar for foos and then moving to to like your oh um, man it was really hard for me to get comfortable singing yeah you know what i mean like i could sort of hear oh so self-conscious and i think i think for for me um i sort of made some failed attempts at it in high school like in my high school bands and was so uncomfortable with it that i just never did it again yeah i was too i was too scared to even sing in high school yeah i never even did it. well it's kind of it's a very vulnerable feeling so then once i started doing it with you know when i was a little bit older because i was like in my early 30s when i started doing jackson united that was the first time i was ever like fronting a band and it was really hard for me to get over and i and i I was terrible you know i mean i was really really bad and I think when you're insecure about it, it makes it amplifies all the shittiness of what you're doing, you know, because like like I sort of figured it out after the fact, every single thing that you could be doing wrong as trying to be a singer was exactly what I was doing. I'd be real tense, close my throat off, just, you know, like it was just terrible. You know what's weird? To, I don't know if this happened to you, but like, you know, nowadays people just can t- record everything and you see it right on Instagram or whatever. But. These shows, I think I'm going crazy, and I yeah. look at the video, and I'm just fucking standing there. Like, I thought I was, you know, running <laughs> yeah, around yeah. the stage and, like, totally. rocking out, yeah. and, and I look, and I'm just fucking frozen. Yeah. Well, I think that's also, that's been a, a, a challenging thing, especially for this kind of music where, you know, it's a little quieter and everything. Although my record's, you know, it's it's rocking in its way, but... Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say, to me, your record is, like, um, it reminded me a lot of shit I listened to, kind of, the, a lot of the shit that was around in Kentucky, which was... Mm. The rockers who liked it doesn't. Sound, I mean, tell I don't I, tell me if this, I don't think this is an insult in any way, but it doesn't sound like it's not pure country. It sounds oh, like no, this, it sounds not. like uh, rock by because this is a lot of the people I played with growing up in Kentucky was rock by people who yeah. liked country or couldn't get right. the country out of the system. Maybe. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I mean, I you know I'm a rock guy, you know, at heart, and um and sort of came to country like I think that's what I dug the side door. You know what I, what I dug about um. Your record was like it wasn't Chris goes country, you know. Right. Like it wasn't like you know, like like thematic, you know. I'm gonna go country now, and right? Like yeah, do, and do like Buck Owens or something. And I, you know, it, it feels very natural and just like kind of t- like it almost reminded me of because you're speaking of West Coast town, you're you're a West Coast sure. guy, and I just yeah. don't, I just don't really know this part of the, you know, I didn't grow up with this kind of music yeah. around. I mean, obviously, there's a Bakersfield shit for country, but. You kind of grew up in like the punk scene, yeah, right. Well, totally. But there and, was some of that. I mean, like X and the oh stuff yeah, had, like, like X and Social D, and there were bands that were influenced by that, and 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 that that influence was around even more than I realized growing up. But um, I mean, that was really one of the great things about working with Cobb on this record is like I pr- was definitely 
wanting to be a little cleaner toned, a little, a little twangier, you know, is cause I like, you know, I get my fill of loud rock music, you know I mean? That's what I've been doing since I was a kid. And he was, and, and I, and I understand this to be really good advice sort of after the fact, you know, he was really pushed me to, to keep it rocking, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. dude, that's your strength, you know, play to your strength. Like and, and he's, he's good at that. Just like, you know, do what you, you know, yeah. Don't try to be totally. Not, and know? I think it made for a more natural, um, you know, like, like, not that I wanted to make a record that sounded like 1965, but I remember him saying, like, you can't make a record that draws too much from that stuff because it's just going to sound kitschy and you'll get, you know, it'll just, people he also has a, make, make fun say, of it. You he's know? also like, got a nice way of, of kind of change, like telling you things that, opinions that don't sound like he's talking to you or at you. Right. You know? He'll say yeah. things like, you know what would be really cool is like this, Doing this note here and suddenly yeah. just and you're just trust him and listen. To he's him. a great um, like he's he's great in the studio like the way that he encourages you. Yeah, I thought to I, sort of go to follow certain. The way things, I always tell know? my friends is just like most people don't know what a producer is. Right. Like I think he would be the like if you were ever to teach a class on what producing is, that's the guy you should probably go watch. Yes. Yeah. Because people. Like to like my parents or something, people would think a producer is the guy with the glasses on moving the knobs. Right, you know? right, yeah. I was like, no, that's the engineer. Yeah. You know, I think, I don't think people realize how much produce, like a lot of big, not just cop, but a lot of big producers don't know how to use a fucking equipment, don't know shit. They're just right. like, I think Rick Rubin's kind of like that. Someone yeah, told yeah, me, sure. like, he can't play an instrument. He well, can't. what's his face? You know um, that that runs Interscope and all that and beats. Um, oh, oh, Jimmy Ivy. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, he's that guy's not a musician, and he's like produced some of the biggest. You know, produced he did all those Tom so Petty. I, I know his name. You know? I just watched that Tom Petty doc. Yeah, he's fucking great. And he, that guy doesn't play anything. He just knows what a hit sounds like. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Some people could just have that ear, I guess. It's yeah. just like, you know. I mean, Cobb, and, and don't get me wrong, Cobb's a great musician, great player, and, and all this. And he really, like. Uh, he, mean, pl- I, he, play, he's play, he plays guitar on all my songs. He, he plays play, play acoustic on, on my whole record, yeah. every song, and I played all the electric. And um, But he, like, you know, I, I sat in here and just woodshedded before I went out there. And I got my songs. I had a bunch of songs, and I and I just worked on them over and over, and edited and and tried to just make them as like great as they could possibly be. And he took every single one of the ones that we recorded and elevated it, and some a lot. And some really got turned around because of him and, and his vision for things. And he he added bridges, and he added intros and outros, and he's he's just like an incredibly yeah, musical I mean, guy. There were definitely a couple songs where I'm almost like. I felt. I don't know if you felt the same way. I was like, should I give him a songwriting credit on this? Right, it, it, totally. But I was like, well, if he wanted one, he probably his manager would have asked for one. But he definitely. I mean, you could argue. That I mean, there was that's, definitely that's a, songwriting. There was definitely yeah. co- there were definitely songs where I'm not, I'm not joking. We're like, how about this chord instead? I'm yes. Like, oh, to, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, like the, the, like the my favorite chord change in. Um, there's a song on my record called record called Room 102, where in the second verse, when it comes back to where it had been going to the. I don't know what, what it was going. It was going to the five chord and he made it go to like a minor third chord. And it's just like, that's, that's the heartstring tug. Yeah. I mean, song, like you know? I said, to me, that is, that's songwriting, totally. but you know, but whatever, I don't think he doesn't care about credits or that right. or the money. So it does at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But you know, why don't you start the song in a minor key and then move to the major? I'm like, yeah, 
that's what that songwriting. And you know, I will tell you what, vocally, dude, he helped me so much because I'm, you know, I'm a shitty singer at the end of the day, especially when you. By the look way, I'm, at, n- I'm nodding a lot, which I'm, which I got to learn not to do on podcast. <laughs> now that well, I'm the biggest podcasting host, you know, in all the, of the, Cobb's a guy that works with some of the greatest singers in in country in Americana. You know, it's like Sturgill and Isbell and Staple. Well, These are guys a, that are like incredible. I was going to say too is I. You were talking about being self. I, I'm so, I'm still, even though I, I'm a cocky bastard, I'm still very self conscious sure. about my vocals. And of I, I I kept asking them, how do my vocals sound? Yeah, I actually think they sound pretty good on the new record because I just got off tour and I was in good shape. All right, nice. But I was strong. always really um, self conscious about it because I'm comparing myself to I was to the best say, singers I was, of all I was time. Saying Stapleton, yeah. Sturgill, like right. Like the, you can't like, do that. Cause I can't because you, you, you know because that's just not fair. Like you know, well, those no, guys are are next level. But but what he helped me with was like finding the right key for the song. You know to fit my voice better. And it was really it was not what I expected. Normally you think oh that one's kind of hard to sing. I'm going to move it to a lower key. He pushed all my vocals into higher keys, and f- he just recognized right really? away that with a bunch of this of a, he was like no you need to you need to keep it exciting you need I to actually, be pushing it you I know? actually did that for myself I always find when I'm pushing it I sound better right um, but I didn't even mention this before but the because I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by it but my when we did the first record the first couple songs I was like you know I was playing guitar you know, we had the, my mic set up with the guitar yeah. and my vocals he's like why don't you try one without playing guitar and then I'll just play guitar because he was right. playing guitar anyway yeah and my vocals just went sounding way fucking better. Totally. And because I wasn't, you know, once you get the song, because you, when you're recording, it's kind of the first time you've played it with a yeah. band. And once I'm doing it live, it's fine. I've, I've got it down. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like in my memory. But in the studio, when, when I don't play guitar and I can just concentrate on my vocals, it just sounds way, like that's something that's, that's what I, again, what I consider producing, which is right. like, yeah. that's not, that's just like an idea, you know, let me play the acoustic. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, because I, I write the album credits myself, it says vocals, guitar, because I do, I probably one or two songs each album I played guitar yeah, on yeah, sure. and I play it live, but almost all the acoustic on the album is Cobb or Leroy. So I tell you, it's, it's, it was a funny thing because playing live when I went out and started doing shows, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I played on the record, I couldn't sing and play. So I would actually listen to what Cobb's part was and try to figure out kind of what he was playing or some version of it. And that's what I actually play live almost more than what I played on the record. Really? Because I can't really... Were like you a lot playing of songs, live while you were singing in the, in the studio? I was, but we didn't keep much of that. You know, we okay. kept the guitar stuff here, you know, but um, and then I overdubbed more guitars on it. But I know that he used some of the scratch vocals, but I, probably not that much, you know. Um, but a lot Can of I that... Can for a second? I didn't add any. All my vocals were live on the new record. Really, it was a scratch. I mean, it was from right. all the, all from the takes. Oh, that's amazing! And I just was in a, a good place. I think just from yeah. ha- having I just gotten off a tour. Um, I wasn't. I was in a bad place after that because we did another tour after that, and I fucking almost died. But mm. my vocals felt really strong, and we listened. He kind of took the best of each take, and we listened back to like what we're gonna need to re-record. He's like, "It sounds good to me." Yeah, and that's the other thing I like about him. It's just like. Um, it just kind of that, like sounds good, you know. Yeah. It's not, no overthinking it, you know? right? Yes, I mean he said that very clearly when we started. Like, I don't like to go past the good take, and there weren't too many songs because you know it was probably the same way that, that you guys did it. Like, he would listen to the song, kind of wrap his head around it, then we'd all kind of strum through it on acoustic guitars, sitting around talking about. You did know. you play your demo? 
or no? Yeah, I, I, well, that's funny because I sent him a couple rounds of demos and he really didn't even respond to them. So going into it, I was like, fuck, he doesn't like my songs. No, I think... <laughs> I, yeah, but I don't think he ever listened to them because I think he likes to listen to it right then and there, react to it, and go. You yeah, know? I'm, I, I'm the same way as you. Is I, I, I don't think he likes He told demos. me not to make demos. Yeah, he, I think he's upset. He, not upset, but he, he, I really make pretty um, detailed demos. Right. And I... He just he just he'd rather me just come in and just Strum play the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I just don't feel prepared to. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would still have to make the demos. I think. Yeah. But um, I've thought about that a bunch. I like, think that's what I'd have to. I want to ask. I think that's what Isbell does. He just you know comes in and plays it for him. Right. But I'm, I don't have the experience of someone like you know. Yeah. Or the confidence maybe to do that. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that a lot. Like if I if I go make another record with him. Maybe next time around, I'll I'll just not make demos, or maybe I'll make them but not send them to him, or you know something like that, or like so I can just go in there and play them. And yeah, because I remember talking way. to him the day before. The day before, I feel like maybe he, as he's gotten better and gotten more confident, is because I remember the last first record I sent him the demos and he's like, "Here's the ones I like," and this one mm-hmm. I sent him the demos and I never heard back. Right. Yeah. The same thing. Like. Yeah. What the fuck? What are we doing here? Yeah. Um, and that was the thing I noticed. Um, is I forgot that like while I was out on the road, like all those musicians and they were all working like yes. getting better. Like, they made like thirty records yeah. since the last time you were there. Like, yeah. they f- it felt like they had like like my new album sounds better because they all got better, not right. just not because yeah, I yeah. did. You know, sure. Now it's a, it's it's funny, man. Like like I really I wanted the experience of having him produce my record. So I just went into it just full on, like you know, with the attitude of like I'm just going to listen to what he says. I'm gonna do what he says, and I'm just and I'm going there for that experience. You know, he's this, yeah, that's the thing this I don't guy understand. does something that I can't do, and I and I want that on my music. I don't understand know? that because I know a lot. Of, I have a lot of musician friends who you know will get those big producers and spend the whole time arguing. He's like, right? I didn't want to do that. Yeah, but I know people who have done that. Just like, dude, you're paying for him to d- just try it to see what yeah. he says. And yeah, I felt yeah. this exact same way, especially my first time with him was like. I don't know if that's right, but you know what? I'm paying it for it, and I'm paying for him and for his opinion. Let's try it his way, and then yeah. I tried it his way. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, there are even a couple of things, edits and tweaks that he made on the songs that in the moment I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And now I listen to him, and I'm like, God, that was. I'm so glad we did that. You yeah, know? I freak out more in like the mixing and post-production. I'm just like, uh, turn that fucking harmony up. It's like, you know, it's yeah. too much. And I think finally I just annoy people because uh, <laughs> I saw you. I should mention that uh, my, uh, as I said, I'm Mr. Hollywood now. Uh, I saw you in the studio working with the Foo Fighters and that guy who engineered and mixed mixed both my records, Daryl mm. Thorpe, engineered the new Foo Fighters record, which I don't think I'm allowed to talk about, but you can say that you, I saw you in the studio, I think. I have met Daryl Thorpe. Yeah. Good fucking dude. Um, totally. uh, and he, Solid. And he mixed the fucking shit out of my Oh, did he mix too. your record? He mixed both of them. Oh, Nice. Yeah, he. It's funny, you know. It's a funny thing. I I um hadn't met Daryl until I, I came back from recording with Cobb, and I gave the record to my label, and then they were like, "Well, it'd be great to get an extra song or two for like bonus tracks." You know, we can have a iTunes version, can have a bonus track, and some stuff like that. I was like, "Ooh, I hadn't even thought of that." So I first I tried to get Matt Ross Spang to come out and and engineer it, just so it had some, you know. Similar. Oh, so there are a couple. Those bonus tracks are not 
The, huh? Well, the, only one of them's come out, so there's a bonus track on the iTunes version, and that was not a, a Dave Cobb production. That was we did that out at Studio Six Hundred Six, and um, so Matt couldn't do it. I, I called, first I called Dave, and I was like, "Hey, man, I, I've got to record this song. You know, it'd be great to have. You know, do you mind if I ask Matt to come out just so, you know, it'll at least it's the same guy engineering it, you know." Matt ultimately couldn't do it, and so I asked him, well, who should I get locally? And he was like, oh, you got to get my buddy Daryl. And so Daryl came in and did it and just knocked it out of the park. He's yeah, so it's funny. The, the, the first record, because um, I think Dave was going to mix I forget what happened exactly, but he's like, why don't you have this guy Daryl mix it? I'm like, what's he done? And he's like, Radiohead, um, Paul McCartney, <laughs> Beck. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking Like, what? <laughs> right, yeah. And uh and he fucking nailed it. I mean, I think maybe it was just something he hadn't really done before. Right, yeah. And also, he's uh, what I love about him, he's like my biggest fucking fan. He just, like, he yeah. fucking love. You can, uh, you know, I love people who, my main thing is I love people who are passionate about my work. So having a guy mixing it who wants it to be as good as I want it yes. to be. Um, That's, that is just, a meaningful thing that people, young musicians listening to this need to. Need to know, and that's that again is one of the great things about Dave Cobb or any great producer. It's so great to put your music and your art into somebody's hands and have them be as excited as you. Because at about the end it. of the day, it's all up to you, and no one's really going to give a shit. But right. there's guys who are really you know, when they come into your project or whatever, then they, they give a shit. You know? Yeah, I mean, there. I'm sure there's guys you know who are like you know, and I've luckily never had this experience working with with Cobb, but you know. You're working on a record and they're getting phone calls about, you know, the new Beyonce record or like, you know, listen to mixes of their somebody yeah, else's yeah, yeah, record. Yeah. I'm sure there's people yeah. who are fucking half in it and half out of it. Totally, totally. And that would fucking piss me off, but luckily it's never it's yeah. never happened. Um, I do I want to go back a step because um, you you start because I, I never learned the stuff. I never really asked you because we've become friendly since the first podcast, but I never really asked you this shit. So a podcast is a good place to to ask it. You grew up. Southern California. Right? Yeah, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, for the most part. When I was really young, I was born in Santa Barbara. Then my dad was a teacher, and he wound up getting a teaching gig out in Maryland. So we kind of bounced back and forth between Maryland and Santa Barbara for a few years. Because then my parents split up when I was pretty young, and while they were figuring out custody, when I was like six, was you know what? It was the day after Elvis died uh, in '77. Yeah. yeah, we moved back to Santa Barbara, and then I was there for the. What's Santa Barbara like? Is it like a resort town kind of? It, it's, it's, it, nowadays, I mean, I love Santa Barbara to death, and someday I will move back there, and it's still retained a lot. It has retained a lot of like the, what, was, what is charming about it or was charming about well, it. There's not many cities like that. Then. But it has also become like a weekend destination for people from L.A. that I, I feel like maybe I was just too young to notice when I was a kid, but I don't think it was so much like that back then. When I was a kid, and I, you know, I sing about this on the record in that song, West Coast, West Coast Town, like, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in was like a, just a pretty straightforward, like, working class, typical California Yeah, it's you weird, know, because area. I'll bet what happened is, is, me just guessing, is people probably visit from L.A., but in the, like, when I was a kid, we took a family vacation from Kentucky to L.A. Like, I'll bet L.A. used to be a, I mean, it probably obviously still is, a, but vacation destination. Sure. And now it's some, a place that people need to, like, take vacation from and that's probably like the closest right place we came out here I, I it was actually kind of a shitty trip i just remember not a shitty trip but i remember we went to go see a tv taping of of the a sitcom the sitcom version of uncle buck oh no we're just sitting there this i remember just being even a kid like this fucking sucks you know it's funny because even you know, when i was a kid we had a lot of relatives in la my grandma lived right in hollywood like right up the street from hollywood boulevard and so i was down here a lot 
And, um, and then, you know, in high school and stuff, I started coming down a lot to go to shows. And even when I was a kid, I always thought like, God, fucking Hollywood Boulevard must be so disappointing for people. It's very different now. Now it's kind of a big mall. But back when I was a kid, it was like just scuzzy pizza shops and $99 suit well, stores. Well, I will and- say, yes, coming from Kentucky, it was, it was pretty just, ex- just to see in the stars. It was just exciting to know that like famous people were around, I think. Right. Star- right. Like it was such a, because we'd also, we also visited New York City. And New York City just scared the shit out of me. Like I'd right. never seen buildings like that. I'd never. Yeah. It was loud. I just I was just like fucking scared off my ass. But L.A. felt at least a little more calm, and it was like dealable. Plus, yeah. there was like, like the seventies and the eighties, like Hollywood, the glory days were long over, and it was just like a, a sort of low rent scuzz had set in. You huh. know, is that kind of when the when the L.A. punk scene was at its height? Well, I mean, I wasn't around for that, but, um, but like, you know, yeah, sure. If you read that John Doe book, he talks about that a lot. You know, you could get a cheap apartment, right? You know, in I Hollywood. what's the book? Uh, his book is called, what is his book called? It just came out like last year. I want to say maybe it's called like Under the Big Black Sun or something like that. It's good though? Oh, it's amazing. Like, I mean, I was a little Give kid. A I, I had nothing yeah, to buy, do. Buy the new, it's a biography, autobiography? Well, it's, it's um, I forget what you call it, but it's where it's each chapter is a different person sort of telling their story. So there's, oh, okay. he does a couple chapters. There's X scene. You've got there's a bunch of people. Oh, from it's an, the, X, an X book. It's not just. It's, well, no, it's, it's just the scene. It's all these people that were around that scene at that time sort of telling their version of it. It's like, right, you know, cool. one of the Go-Go's writes a, a chapter and stuff like that. Yeah, it's funny because like we always do on the Wheel of Walker Jr. podcast, it comes back to me. But, you know, I didn't really know, the, like, L.A. Punk in, in Kentucky, you never really got it. Mm. You didn't get much of it. It was more just like the, there's no such thing, I guess, as like mainstream underground punk. But we would get like, you know, actually, where's Black Flag? That's Was that D.C.? Black Flag, no, that was L.A. L.A.? Like yeah. that kind of show. But it was, that got. was South Bay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we would get that kind of. It just it was honestly just whatever the record store. Yeah, got. sure. Um, so I didn't really. I don't think I heard X till I was older. I don't think. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really know. Like, who were the? So you moved here to, and you, well, you so, started out as a, as a punk rock. No, guy. I started out as a rock and roll kid. Like my older brothers, you know, when when I was like a little kid in the seventies, like. It was just exactly what you would expect a you know typical kind of suburban household to have. It was the Stones, it was the Beatles, it was Zeppelin, it was Sabbath, it was Kiss, you know, it was Aerosmith. It was all, all that kind of stuff. Is what we were listening to. I remember my mom's sister, my aunt Christy, was quite a bit younger than my mom, and was living in L.A. and worked at like record labels and stuff. And she was super hip. And I remember in like the late seventies, her telling us about this band called X from you know from L.A. and thinking, ooh, that sounds scary, you know, punk rock, ooh. Um, but we weren't into that stuff at all. And then we were like into heavy metal. And then it's somewhere around in like junior high, high school, I got really into like glam rock. And in LA at that time, I just started going to shows. I was going to like heavy metal shows a lot, but that was when the guns and roses and poison. And were you out here for Fast all that? Oh, for all that stuff. That was so when, when I was a LA? teenager. So I moved to LA in January of 90 and that whole scene had totally died by then. Okay. You know, but I moved to LA thinking it was, I was going to like, make it with my Guns N' Roses style rock and roll band, you know? And yeah, when I, I got here... when Guns N' Roses came out, it was like, they, it was like after all that hair melt, like, these guys, are the, these guys were the real fucking deal. Right. That's, that was kind of how they were sold. Sure, yeah. And they were, you know? I mean, they were a great band, but, like, but that scene had been exhausted by the time I ever got here, thinking that it was still going on. So, like, in, in 1990 in L.A., the music scene was like, it was that sort of pre- 
explosion of alternative rock, but you had like the Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction were kind of like the kings of L.A., and then you had all these local bands trying to sort of emulate yeah, some version thought, of that. I you always know? found it weird thinking back on it too that like that Jane's Addiction and Guns N' Roses came from the same kind of even the same city, much less the same kind of scene. It's right. very odd to me because I think they came from a little bit different scenes within the scene. You know what I mean? Like, but they were but they're aware of each other. I'll bet. Oh sure, yeah, totally. And just yeah. the idea that they even because to me that was like where I'm from. That's like you know two different. Opposite poles of right, know. right. But it's funny because it's really like there's there was a lot of overlap in Southern California between people. Like you know, you have to remember like punk rock was in a weird, like a, a lot of punk rock in the late eighties, mid to late eighties was all that sort of crossover metal stuff where punk rock had gotten really kind of like fused with thrash metal and speed metal and all like that who? stuff. Like- um, oh, I'm trying to like bands like DRI would be a good example, you know that that sort of thing. So a lot of punk rock had gotten more sort of metal, and um, and a lot of metal had gotten more sort of thrashy, and so you know, like kind of I guess maybe so, you know a it was a real would be like Metallica maybe. You, you, well, you know it was a, a, a turning point record that kind of changed and pointed the direction for a, a, a certain sort of subgenre of punk rock was when Bad Religion put out Suffer. In 1987, yeah, I don't really know that. Like changed fucking what that changed the punk rock scene in a big way. And then you had bands like No Effects, you know, sort of taking that template and fusing it with like other things like RKL and creating this. But I remember what became like the No Effects epitaph sort of sound. You know? I remember. Um, and tell me if this is too much like mainstream. But I remember like. Metallica putting out like whatever that thing was with Misfits covers and shit. Like, right. Oh, yeah, that's, sure. I was like. Kind of shot like oh these this is these guys had the same kind of well to put it in perspective like I was I was trying to be like you know if, let's say you're in like 1987 or something you know what I mean like I was really wanted to be like a, you know it, like was emulating like Hanoi Rocks and stuff like that but where I grew up you know you go to a keg party and it was Metallica on the on the boombox. Yeah. And you couldn't escape, you know, there was just certain things that were kind of just inescapable, you know, and there was no like glam rock scene where I grew up. So you wound up playing in punk rock bands. And that was like my really my first kind of exposure to that a lot. You and know, I wonder if a lot of people had this because my thing was, was too. you know, lo- we there were local punk bands and we would just ask, you know, what what should we listen to? go by Ramones mania, you know, right. like that kind of yeah. stuff. Just like we just listen to it. And of course, as you're, if you're a musician, that's the best stuff to buy because you, totally. you can learn it that afternoon. Yeah. It's funny, though, because all that shit seems so old by the time I got into it. Like, the punk rock scene of the moment wasn't that, but I was listening to, like, The Clash and The Damned and, and The Ramones and stuff like that, but that all seemed kind of like, you know, that had been a long time ago. Yeah, some of the stuff, I got into more of the punk-style stuff that went, that I love the stuff that was more, you know, songwriting-based. Right. Which is what I hear on your new record, like... Again, tell me if I'm crazy, but I hear some replacements on, on oh, the record. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like because they, they, especially later, they had a lot of like kind of twangy. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they were still they were still a punk rock loud rock band, but it yeah. got what Paul Westerberg became more of like a singer songwriter, and it sure. was kind of melding with that. Yeah. Um. So that I don't know why that was the first band I thought of when I was listening to your record. Mm. Which oh, that's great. Which I'll is, take that. Which all is day. Uh, which is, sounds like you don't mind it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But some of those songs were so, it was so, these great songs, but almost recorded by, I mean, this is where, you know, you beat them out. It was recorded by just like a drunken mess of dudes. Because <laughs> right. I read, the, I read the, this book on the replacements that came out recently. And I've never read s- such fucking 
hooligan. I mean, they sounded, they sounded like they should have been in fucking cages. So they were like, yeah. you know, they were getting drunk on the bus that the label gave them, and they got sick of going to the bathroom. They would just piss on the, like, the bus was just filled with piss. Yeah, yeah. And they would get in fight. It just sounded like fucking, uh, you know, like a, you know, like a debauch, complete debauchery. Right, you know? yeah. Um, I don't hear that on your record. I don't, I don't hear, I don't hear, the, I don't hear the, the piss sloshing around, yeah. so that's good. There wasn't much uh, piss sloshing around in Studio yeah. A. They keep it pretty clean over Yeah, there. but it's in here. Yeah. It's in here. The, yeah, it's, 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 keep the piss in your heart. That's right. Um, so, anyway, again, I'm trying to pretend like I'm a fucking interviewer, but I am honestly curious. You go from that kind of shit, and then when did you, you when did you start making a living at it? It was in the mid '90s. You know, I moved to LA. I played around in bands around LA for um, for years. Did you have and, day jobs and shit? Oh, I had a lot of day jobs. Yeah, I was like an office guy. I got because when I turned 18, my mom was like, "I'm sick of you coming home from the beach every day smelling like beer. You're gonna go get it. I got you a job at the probation department. So go see Linda because my mom was a probation officer. Um, she and she was just like, go see Linda. She's gonna sort you out. So I started working um, as like a low level clerk. At the probation department. So you're you're in the category of what I, you know the um, responsible punk rockers. You know? Totally, dude. I was the guy, when, especially when I first moved to LA. I mean, I was young. I was 18, so I would just party all night. And it was weird. LA was different than you know Santa Barbara was. Where in Santa Barbara, you know, Friday and Saturday were your big nights. In LA, it was like Monday and yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, people out here are like, "Hey, you want to go get drunk?" I'm like, "Dude, it's fucking Tuesday." But to me, right. it makes no difference. Who gives a shit? You know? Right? Yeah. So, um, and if you had a day job, which I always did, you know, like there was a lot of like go to bed at five in the morning and wake up at seven and barely make it to work on time. Oh, just hearing that makes me fucking sick. Doesn't that just make you tired? Like yeah. I could never. I mean, that's why you know that's the shit you do when you're young. But yeah, so I did that for years. Then I moved up to um, to San Francisco. And I got a job briefly at this uh, label called Fat Records that's owned by the bass player for No Effects, which like kings of the you know scene at that point. And uh, from working at the label one day, this band called No Use for a Name came in, and we're like, "Hey, our guitar player just quit, and we got to leave for a tour on Monday. You know, does anybody know anybody?" And I wound up auditioning for them and, and getting the gig, and and that was the first time I was ever in a band that like you know that had a following. I, mean, did pretty, I don't records. really know. I know you were in them, but I don't know that band that well. Yeah, no, I mean, most of the time when I was in that band, I was making a living. You know, most of the time I was paying my rent, and um, and it was working out. You know, so like, when you first moved to L.A. and you were. You know, working shit jobs and shit. Like, were you living in a shithole then? I lived in, um, you know, just kind of crummy apartments for the most part. I, the first apartment I had was right down the street from uh, Playboy Laker. It was me and my buddy Luke and his girlfriend. And it was, you know, it was... Because my by, thing... By, 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 you know, my sensibilities today, yeah, it was basically a, a stucco shithole. But at the time, we, you know, you, who cared? You're like, yeah, like My friends in L.A., like, just being from Kentucky, I just don't understand, like, the rent. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, right. Like, well, back then the rents were a lot cheaper, man. You like you, you know, I I I was getting by. I had a, a job. I made like you know nine or ten bucks an hour, and I had my my nut was covered. I didn't have a lot of overhead. Well, that's you crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know obviously they were cheaper, but in comparison to what I guess you weren't you were, there was nothing compared to you were living at home where there's no where. yeah. So no use for a name. Yeah, lasted how long? I was in that band for about four and a half years. Made two records with them. And uh. Were they in it on independent labels? They're on the yeah, so they, they were on Fat Records, and then along the way, while I was in that band, almost right away, once I joined that band, we also put this other band together um, called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. It's like a punk rock cover band. 
And we've done a bunch of records uh, over the years. Um, we've been doing that since like 95, I want to say. It was when we first started the Gimme Gimme's. And that was like me on guitar, Joey from Lagwagon on guitar, um, Dave uh, from Lagwagon on drums, uh, Fat Mike from No Effects on bass, and then Spike uh, is the singer. And at the time, he was playing in a band called Swing and Utters. So, like, how I don't want to like tune into numbers, but like, how well would a band like No Use for a Name like do on the road, like road or record? Well, I'll tell you the, stuff. the first time I ever went out with them, um, the first tour we did was about a month long, and I came home with a thousand dollars. Right, you're fucking rich. So yeah. I had thousand bucks in my pocket, and I I swear to you, it's a true story. The last show was this radio festival up in the Bay Area, and my friend's band, uh, my friend Joe. Um, who's actually one of the owners of Side One Dummy that puts my records out. Um, Joe's band was also on the bill. And the next, that night they were driving to Reno because they had another gig up there. And he was like, dude, come with us, you know, just jump on the bus. And like, I didn't have to be anywhere. So I was like, yeah. And we're all thousand, drunk. Plus you got a thousand bucks in your pocket. You had a thousand bucks in my pocket. I blew like $500 in Reno. Oh, and I sure. came home, I, maybe more. I don't remember. I came home and I had spent most of the money fucking around in Reno. Yeah, we and just played a gig in Vegas, and it was like, I actually stayed away, because I've only been a few times, but I always leave so fucking pissed. Like, I just threw my money away. I yeah. so, like, I get so pissed. I'm the just trick, so if you just don't gamble in those fucking places, you're, you're fine. But that's hard. Yeah, I mean... But that, but that's what it was like. So what, so what would happen is, between tours, if need be, if I ran out of money... You know, it was the mid-90s. I'd just go get a job delivering pizzas or get a job at the coffee shop or on the corner. Well, you know, there was. it seemed like there was always a way to, to get there. Wait a second. Were you, would you stay in San Francisco then? Yeah, yeah. I was living in San I lived in San Francisco from like 95 to 2000. But at their biggest, how big was no use for a name? Um, I mean, you know, the records would sell pretty damn well. You still sold CDs back then. So I remember like, you know, some of those records sold over a hundred thousand records, you know, sure. so it's like, you're making money at that point. And, and I mean, I remember one time coming home, there was a point in all that where we did with, then when we finally made a record, which was a little ways down the road. Um, so you got the offer to like permanently join them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty much permanently in the band from the get go, but, um, and, uh, and so between, I remember this point where we had done these two really long back-to-back tours. We had just put out an album. We got some money from the label. I think I had one or two Gimme Gimme's records out that I'd made a little money off. And all of a sudden, there was this one singular moment where I went from, like, I was so broke and in debt. I mean, I was so in debt because I'd done that stupid thing that young people do where you get a bunch of credit cards and run them all up, and then you're like, oh, fuck, I can't pay any of them. And so credit card companies, bill collectors, were just calling my house literally all day long every day. Luckily, it's before cell phones. So that- yes. Yeah, exactly. So then, then there was a point there where, you know, we did all this touring, had made the record, got a bunch of money from the label, and I paid off all my debt, and I still had a bunch of money in the bank. And I was like, fuck, this is totally fucking working. Well, you did. I'm, like, I'm, I mean, like, I'm, I'm getting, I'm doing it. I don't think there's any way I would have paid my debt first. I'm not that smart. But, <laughs> um, so that was, you know, just, yeah, that's probably when the, you're like, oh, man, I'm... I'm making it. I'm yes. Doing, I'm, I don't have to get a job. To me, that's the big one. Yeah. You don't have to get a fucking exactly. job. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm going to ever have to get a job again. And how big of places were they playing? 
Um, it really depended because there would be like, you know, some gigs would be, you know, probably on average it'd be like between 300, 500 people, you know? So I assume you guys weren't getting like obviously any radio play, but no, anything ever like to MTV or anything? Yeah. Well, the kind of before that was kind of like right before that was, they were riding the crest of the punk rock mid nineties explosion right as I joined the band. And that was just ending. They, they had a song that was like a, a hit on the radio in a bunch of markets um, on a record that was the record before I joined, and their guitar player at that time um, it, we had quit, and that's how I, I wound up getting in the band. Um, but it was, but and they, I remember they made a video, and it, it probably got shown on MTV on you know their punk show or something Late like a night, couple yeah. times, yeah, like that kind of thing. But no, never in like like never like full on like Offspring, but hit still, kind I mean, thing. looking at it now, one play on MTV in the middle of the night probably sell you a lot of fucking totally. Tickets. You know what the big exposure for for that scene was was like surf videos and snowboard videos oh, stuff like that. Yeah. So if you were playing in Florida, the shows were great. So you're you a know? surfer? I'm a surfer. Yeah, I've never fucking so I just seemed to explain it to me because it just seems so fucking stupid. I just like I just took say okay, my son, my oldest, I got three boys. My 13 year old, he is on his school surf team. A so, surf team? Surf team? Yeah, it's great. So every Tuesday and Thursday. I take him to his surf team meetup at 6.30 in the morning, but how which do you, if you don't surf, you got to understand that's called Dawn Patrol, and that's like the best time of the day usually to surf is, oh, is early because there's no wind. I just never understood anything where it's like the goal is you're to get good cold at, and get the goal, like, the goal is to stand up. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. so fucking stupid. It's like go out in the water on a fucking, like if someone just get, said, oh, I got something fun you want to do. You want to go grab a board and stand up? Right. On the water, I'm like, I'd be like, shut the fuck up. So I haven't got to the good part. You're going to be cold, and it'll be four in the morning. I'm like, yeah, fuck, fuck and me. you'll spend much of that time gasping for air and being pinned to the sand. Yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. I'm not going. Surfing. Uh, well, you know what? That's uh, that sounds like a challenge that I now need to take you surfing, so you can experience the religious fervor of catching your first. Anything wave. where you compare it to anything like that, you know, I don't want to. I don't want. Surfing to become my It ain't gonna happen You can, you can beg me all, all you want But I ain't going fucking surfing Well the hardest thing I've tried to teach A couple of people surfing that, that didn't grow up On a coast And that seems to be Very hard Cause I actually didn't Grow up surfing I grew up at the beach And boogie boarding And body surfing And stuff like that But yeah, I, I mean start- I never went to I mean I was not on the coast Of Kentucky You know there's Like you're far away From fucking right? anything I mean there was yeah. Some lakes around But yeah. you know not the Fishing same. was about the There's a rhythm amazing. to the ocean that if you don't grow up in it, it's. I think it's hard for people to yeah, wrap their head around. It's funny, it's funny you say that because yeah, I don't feel when I see the ocean. I don't. It, it doesn't feel natural to me. It doesn't feel like. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like I'm at the. It's like, like this, this. I'm at the end of the country. These tides and waves are very unnatural feeling. Yeah, it feels like, and I see people walking around in the sand, like yeah. Like I feel like they're just gonna float off into fucking Cuba hey, or something. I don't know. I was in a riptide this morning. Really? Yeah. And you're still fucking And I'm still, out. I made it. I made it. Um, again, more my curiosity, but you have no use for a name. Where did Foo Fighters come in? So, okay, so in 99, uh, the summer of 99, we had just made a new No Use for a Name album. And we're getting ready to put that out. And I went out to New York City to visit um, a friend of mine out there, or some friends. And you had money, you could go vacation, you know? Well, th- you sort of, yeah. I mean, I, I went out there. My friend was actually, it's funny, because... This, my friend Ethan actually just posted a picture from right around this time on Facebook the other day, and it reminded me of this trip. Because my, okay, so my friend John had moved to New York. It just hit me. We're not Facebook friends, but go on. So, so yeah, so so uh, so John had moved to New York from San Francisco. So and he was 
couch surfing on this guy, Ethan's couch in New York. And like, you know, it's New York. So it's like little tiny. It's like the apartment's probably like this big is this room. So he invited me out to then I was the guest of the dude couch surfing at Ethan's house. And that's how I met this guy, Ethan, whatever. So I'm out there for a few days. I'm supposed to be out there for a couple of weeks hanging out um, with John and, and, and all those folks. And I get a call from the tour manager for the Foo Fighters saying, Hey, we're having auditions, you know, and do you want How'd to come they out? find you back in this? Well, a buddy, uh, my friend Bill, had, uh, who was the other half of the label that puts my records outside, one dummy, I had talked to him pro- like months before that, and I said, hey, man, I heard that Foo Fighters guitar player quote. Why don't you see if you can get me an audition? And he did, and it, and it worked. Because um, oh, he knew um, this woman who was actually so now my lawyer. The, when you were in the other band where you was kind of thinking, like, now you may have like, yeah, I'd like to do this, but like on a bigger scale. Or- well, of course. I mean, I always wanted to do it on as big a scale as you could do it on. Um, but I wasn't actively thinking about you know leaving or anything. But I, you know, of course, I heard that the fo- guitar felt- player for the Foo Fighters had quit. So and well, they were like my favorite band. In your you know? guitar playing that you could. You know. Sure, sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, and and so so I found out. You know, I found out that I could go audition for them, and I did, and came back a week later and I auditioned again, and then they gave me the gig. What was the audition pro? I mean, was it just like, was it playing wise, hang out wise too? I think it was both, you know, and you got to bear in mind, I didn't know the guys in my band. I didn't know the guys in the foods at all. Had never met any of them really. Um, Although my band in high school did open up for Dave's old band scream um, in Santa Barbara, but I I didn't really meet him or anything. But, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, the first audition was, we just played a few songs and, and talked a little bit and then I left because they were like doing a bunch of auditions. And then the second audition was like an all day play, like a lot of songs. And, and we sat around and in what I have now since, you know, learned you is been, a you food been fighter in- tradition. We at rehearsal is really more sitting around eating, take out and, you know, talking. And you probably, and you had to learn how many songs you think probably, uh, probably, I mean, I had to learn all the, you know, the first two records. And then once I got to gig, I had to learn the third record, which wasn't out yet at that time. And you've been in the band how long now? I mean, uh, since then, that was this summer, it'll be 18 years. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Like, I know I, I want to talk, you don't mind talking about this shit a little bit. Oh, do no, you? I don't mind. Yeah. It's um, good. Because, uh, I'm fascinated by this. So was it just like a, a mind melt to all of a sudden be, you know, nice tour bus like it probably wasn't arenas then or was it well you see it was not arenas yet i mean that's the thing people and i thought that like because foo fighters were on mtv you know and they had a couple of hit records already before i joined the band like um i sort of assumed that it was on a grander scale too and it was more like um you know we played a lot of festivals and stuff like that but like if we were doing our own shows it was like theaters and clubs and and that's because i I actually saw uh I'm from Lexington, which is like an hour from Cincinnati. So we would go see, drive to Cincinnati to see shows. And I want, we saw, me and my brother drove up and saw Foo Fighters. I want to say, is it possible that it was even before the first record came out? Maybe. Oh, did you see him on that Mike Watt tour? No, it wasn't that. Maybe it was right when the first record. I just remember driving up there with my brother. It's like, we basically were like, let's go see the drummer for Nirvana. Right. in those days. Let's go right. see the drummer for Nirvana. I heard sure. they were good. And we saw him at this club, Bogarts. You ever heard oh, of that yeah, club? Yeah, sure. Uh, that's where we used to see uh, most bands, just because mm. it was only like kind of like cool club that cool bands would go to. Yeah, yeah. Saw Allison Chains there too, and Sunvolt. Oh, nice. Um, 
back in you know back yeah, in it, high school days. But it takes. But that was really, before you got in the. Yeah, the, that was. But even that Bogarts is a big place. But. It takes a long time. I mean, I think that's the thing you learn is that it takes a bunch of records usually to get to like you know the the level that the Foo Fighters are certainly at now. We're like, um, you know, it was like incremental over the years, but it was still my head was believe me, my head was spinning. It was a huge, huge step up from anything I'd ever done before. Were you, were you, cause I think I'd spend the whole time like trying not to fuck up. Were you like nervous a lot? You know, I was nervous, but and it's funny, man, cause you know, I had to learn all these songs. So I was just like listening to the, there wasn't like, I would listen to the records and figure it out. And there wasn't a lot of like, um, you know, Dave didn't really correct me on a lot of stuff. Um, so I just kind of learned them the way that I learned them. And did them that way. And, it, and I remember there was a point like, you know, probably like five years ago where he actually corrected something I was doing where he's like, God, I've been meaning to tell you that for like 15 oh, years or something, you know, like, I just you keep forgetting. Up, you fucked up every show for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah. But I'm not comfortable enough to tell you. But I, I mean yeah. more like the hang, like, because I remember seeing, a, it was a few years ago, they used to always play on cable this, um, one of those weird HD, back when HD was new, they would play sure. this. Foo Fighters concert. It was like Wembley. Yes. Something. It was not arena. Yeah. It was like yeah, it no, live like, at Wembley. Yeah. But it was bigger than it was like. Was it Wembley State? Is like the Wembley like, Stadium. Yeah, like yeah. How many people is that? Those shows. I think they were around like eighty thousand. Something. I mean, like that's that. the, that's they don't even have concerts that big in America. You know, it was just it was like <laughs> what's it like playing up there for eighty thousand? I mean, people? that one you know was was crazy. I just remember it being so loud, like the roar of the crowd was so loud at that gig. How do you do you have in-ear things? I've never had I, any in-ear I things. I might have had in-ears then. I don't use them now, but I've gone back and forth over the years. So I, I don't remember at that one. I think I did have them on at that at that one. But that's just like those big shows are such a crazy energy to them, you know. It's just I mean, does it's it like feel a like it's, it's, it's so many it's so many people that you don't even really think about it? Yeah, it's it's surprisingly more comfortable because of that. You can't see faces. Because you're not, yeah, it's, you don't see the individual so much as the mass, you know, where you play a bar and it's like there's somebody this close or closer, you know. I mean, that's just, I'm wondering, I'm trying to put myself in a position where I think looking at 80,000, I guess I probably had, I can't even picture what that looks like. Because I even on TV it looked crazy. Well, you know what was crazy about that? Okay, so, but you know, by the time we ever got to that point, we had played bazillions of festivals, right? Like big, huge crowds. Like that wasn't like the first time we ever got in front of a big, giant crowd. And as a matter of fact, about a year prior to that, we played at that live Earth Festival that was at Wembley. So it wasn't even the first time we'd played Wembley. We had, you know, played like a short set at this thing. And I remember we had a great set at that live Earth show. And I remember afterwards, you know, either Dave or our manager or somebody going like, wait a minute, we got to... We got to do our own show here. And I remember thinking, like, that's crazy. You know, that'll never yeah. happen. But then it did. But it was like, you know, it's kind of what was, like what I was talking about before. Like, like to work to that point, you know, we didn't just, like, put out a record and then go well, play I Wembley. The, like, the, like, the like we were so, seasoned like, to be you're, there, you're, you're, you know? People must know because I'm, like, I'm at the point where it's, like, I'm watching, t- like, like, we're playing a 500-seat place. Like, we're at 300. Like, come on, come on. Like, yeah. I'm all worried about that. Like, I can't even imagine being yeah. at that level where it's, like, Dude, it's not looking good. We're only at thirty thousand. You know, <laughs> right, right. Like you could really sell forty thousand tickets and be like, I don't know, guys. Dude, that's like, a funny thing because there are places that we've gone. Like we played down in South Africa on the last album tour. It was the first time we've ever been to South Africa, and we played like you know one of the shows. There was like 
45,000 people. You know, it's like, that's a lot of people. First time we've ever been there. But you're in a 90,000 capacity ginorma dome. So it makes it feel like, oh, we didn't sell enough tickets. But then if you think about it, you're like, fuck, we've never been here before. And we sold 45,000. 45, I mean, that's like, yeah, the arena where, where I'm from, which is where the basketball, which is where I sell Guns N' Roses, is the biggest arena I've ever been to. And that's half that size. Right. You know? Right. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even I can't even imagine numbers. I mean, I remember there were times like early on, you know, the first maybe like, you know, I don't remember even what album this was. Maybe it was like the not nothing left to lose, but maybe it was one by one or something. I remember playing like in Texas in an arena where we had sold so little tickets, they basically pushed the stage all the way up against the the bleachers, you know what I mean? Where it was like, you know, you're just all the way at the other end, but not facing the way you would, would be hoping to face. You're oh, facing you know, it's that weird, way. It's weird you know? because, yeah, the arena in my hometown, a couple, I've met some people in Nashville who said they played there. I'm like, there's no, I mean, I don't even know who you are when I met you. There's right. no way you played Rupp Arena. That's 22,000 yeah. people. He's like, oh, yeah, we played the small version of it. I guess they do that where they they, oh, they, yeah. they cover half the arena. Yeah, just, yeah. Because yeah. there's, no, there's no large theater in Right, hometown, yeah. I mean, so. it's sort of like if, they, if that's the only venue that, you know. They just cut it in half, I think, and they'll do like. Yeah. This dude, like, I mean, in this defense, whoever the fuck he was, he played to 8,000 people, which is right. still pretty fucking 8, good. 8,000 people is a life. Dude, if my solo album could, if I could go out and play in front of 8,000 people, I'm, I'd do the same thing you were. I'm like. Looking at the ticket counts, going, it's a 200 capacity room. How can we? Come on, we gotta get to at least 150. Come on, well, people. The, my record release show at Exit In is also always hard to t- sell at in Nashville because people don't buy tickets. Yeah. you know they just show up at the show, and we're about to finally sell out. And I've been, I've been getting nervous about that show. That's yeah, five, sure. That's 500 tickets. I mean, I, yeah. I probably know 500 people in Nashville. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I still can't fucking sell. Dude, them. the day of our Nashville show, there was a we had a misunderstanding. Um, Internally and externally, uh, where we're supposed to be using um, their back line. And then I was like renting an amp, and then our guitar player's friend was going to bring an amp because we were like doing fly in stuff at that point. And it, and it just got a little mixed up. And so we got there, and this is like the big show, and we'd like sold it out. And like, you know, I mean, it's a small room, but I was pretty yeah. stoked. I'm in Nashville, and we sold it out, and it's going to be great. And we show up, and we only have like half the gear to do the show. Basically, we're like, ah, why, why of all shows? What happened? Well, we're in Nashville, and it's like you know, you throw a rock and you hit an amp. No, so but what, we, we what, so what we happened figured to make, it out. make only half the equipment show? Well, it was just a misunderstanding between. It was a couple of. It was like multiple yeah. misunderstandings. That's the, that's the difference know? between Chris Schifflet's album and Foo Fighters. You don't show, you don't show up to Wembley with half the show. Yeah, know? yeah, that's never There's happened. There's a hundred people. Fucking yeah, that has never out. ever happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that so that's kind of my next thing is like. Is is it cool then to like do be able to do both then? Or does it make give you a bit, bit yeah. a yeah, bigger yeah. better appreciation for foods or the other way around? Oh no, definitely. I mean, it's it's when I go out and do my solo shows, it's it's a totally different. You know, you're playing. Especially, I went out and did these shows before my record came out, so it's like you're, I'm playing my whole new record and nobody's heard it. So it's yeah. like it's a very um, very different experience. What's what's side one dummy like? Is it like three? Do you pay for it yourself? Do you really have to do all the shit yourself, or are they, well, the, do they do stuff? No, they've got an in house. You know, they've got a, you know a staff that does a bunch of stuff. But I mean, I had made my record and then went you know then took it to them. So in that sense, yeah. So sort they of, bought but, it from you. Um, he sort of yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they, I mean, they've got, you know, a great staff of, of people that, that so it's help a, set it, it all up. It's and a everything. step above self-release then. 
Yeah, well, it's oh yeah, no, it's it's, it's many steps above self release. Mm-hmm. I mean, what they've they've helped me out a lot, like you know, with with getting it out there and and it just I mean, you know how it is, dude. Putting out albums, there's so many different ele- you know elements to that, and so many different people involved. Yeah, that, there's all um, the shit you gotta do. You, know, yeah. you gotta send it to Pornhub to get them to play. You know? <laughs> Are you doing that again? Oh yeah, we just did our last video on Pornhub. But oh I'm, nice, it's saying I'm just a. Uh, because you're a couple steps ahead of me right now, which is I'm now in the place of ner- nervousness of like, how's the record going to do? But now that it's out, been out for a little bit, how are you feeling about it? I feel good. I mean, I'm I'm a little sad or a lot sad that I don't have the time to go do another tour and and a tour after that and a tour after that. I mean, I feel like for the first time ever, first off, it's the best reaction to an album I've ever made. Like for my solo stuff, by a, by a long shot, you know, from fans and critics and yeah, we'll say that if you know. It, even if I hadn't, because I'm just admitting that I didn't know that you, you'd done the solo stuff before I met you, and I feel like this one definitely I would have heard had I not not known you, because I always say that like I'm looking at like Sam Allen's sure. records. I know Sam, and like I heard yeah. his first record because he gave it to me. But yeah. the new one, I feel like I would have right. Heard, yeah, you would have found it, it just because yeah. of what you're into and the things you're, you're paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. Like you know, with with um, with the good work that Asha, you know, Goodman, my publicist. Did like did an amazing job getting coverage on it and getting awareness of it. So like, and then with the shows that we did, they were so great and the band sounding good and all that stuff that it definitely feels like like right now I should be going out on tour with you or something. Or you know what I mean? Like like yeah. Well, I remember would, I asked you if you wanted to play the the Troubadour yeah. show with me, which by the way sold out. So I didn't need, I, I didn't need you anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean that's a little sad. But, but as could, far as the reaction to it and all that sort of stuff um, has been great. I'm actually. I'm gonna. I'm like now. I'm at the point where I'm gonna like slot in little shows here and there when I can. Like while I'm going over to to Europe with Foos this summer to do some dates. So right before that starts, I'm gonna go over to London for a couple of days. And I'm gonna open up for um, the singer from Jet, Nick. Let me jump on his show. He's got a solo record coming out, so I'm gonna play open up for him at the 100 Club. Cool. So you're so basically what you're saying is you're moving from you're in the, as I talk to you now. You're in the process of moving from solo to Foo Fighters. Yes, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, it's weird as a kid. As a kid, I always thought when I wasn't seeing a band on MTV or on the radio, I yeah. just assumed they were. I just thought that's what they were doing. They were in the studio, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah. I never thought that they would ever take a vacation or do anything yeah. like that. And, Which probably, and, probably in the old days they probably did. Do that, that you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, you know, and even you know, even with with us, like you know, we we had a bunch of time off um, last year, but you know, we we're getting ready to do some shows and stuff. So that we've been, you know, it's like even when you don't. We're not out there in the public eye. We're probably still rehearsing or, or doing something. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the also too, too. I mean, that's when I first came aware of you as a individual because I hadn't met you at the time. But I really d- dug the show. Um, no, I'm I'm uh, for, blanking on the name of the HBO show. Oh, the Sonic Highways. Sonic, Sonic Highways was they did the Nashville episodes. So I was oh, really right. interested, and then there's like. I think it was D- Grohl who said, like, there's actually a guy in the band who digs country music. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they go to you, and you're, like, looking at all the pictures or something. Like, yeah. You always forget that there's guys in bands who have all kinds of different fucking interests. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool, there's a guy there in the in Foo Fighters who's really into country that I didn't, you know. And it kind of hit me, like, oh, shit. That, that, I'll, bet, I'll bet that dude's a guy, cool guy to podcast with, you know, whatever. I don't know right. what I was thinking at the time. But where did that, in- where did that interest kind of come from then? Well, it was just gradual, man. It was like a slow evolution, you know. I always liked um, 
I always liked the sound of old country music and I loved rockabilly. And then really when I was in, um, and then, you know, I had like some pretty obvious stuff like Patsy Cline and, and so I just had some of those records when in my late teens. Um, and, but, uh, a real turning point for me was, was when I was, when I joined No Use for a Name, the singer for No Use was really into Sunvolt and Wilco and, you know, old 97s and Whiskey Town, oh, all those yeah. bands. And it was the mid 90s. It was when all those bands were, were, that was, up. uh, I used to hear a lot of that shit at the time because it was like, in in Kentucky, it was like cool kind of country shit yeah. you could listen to. Yeah, yeah, sure. People don't believe me, but the biggest in my high school, the biggest band, which now sounds weird to say, but was REM. Really, they were the only band from like the South. Even though people right. forget they're a Southern band, is that's like wasn't like skin. You know, sure. I, I love Skinner now, yeah, but at yeah. the time it was kind of like there's rednecks and then there's it's like you don't want to be the redneck among rednecks. Like right. that was like the real rednecks listen right. to Skinner, but like. The cool southern band to listen to was already like they yeah. were the biggest fucking band. I mean, yeah. people forget how big they were because I think I don't know. Maybe tell me if I'm crazy. I feel like their legacy has been kind of strange since they kind of ended. Am I am I am I crazy to say this? I mean, yeah, not in a negative way, but I don't I'm just, know. I mean, because it's, it's tough. Like I don't I don't know what people's you know perception of them is, but to me being sort of aware of them from the very beginning. I mean, I wasn't like a huge, I didn't buy their records or anything, but they were pretty inescapable. And I, you know, as a kid, I used to watch like 120 minutes on MTV and they were always on, you know. But I feel like if you were to talk to a high schooler now, he'd love, loves Nirvana, Soundgarden and all that shit. Not knowing, you'd be surprised. Not not knowing that Kurt Cobain's favorite band was R.E.M. You'd be surprised though at how little, like how much of the stuff that we grew up listening to has been kind of erased. Really? From those kids. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. So, what so you got, what the oldest is 13? Yeah. So, what's he listening to? Nothing but hip hop now. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to keep my mouth shut when he's, when he puts that shit on in the car. It's (laughs) it's funny because I remember the first, the first adult punk I'd ever seen. Because my theory is always you listen to what makes your parents pissed. Right. Because my parents grew up with the Beatles, which pissed off their parents. Right. And uh, then I started listening to the Beatles through my parents, and it didn't piss them off. And that's when I got into kind of like punk and the louder kind of shit. That's what pissed them off. Right. And then I met a a punk. I met a dude through a friend of a friend who was like an old. I'd never seen an old punk before. He's like, when I say old, like at the time, he was like, to me, seemed old, probably 40 with like a mohawk and shit. And I go, isn't that weird? It throws off my whole theory. I was like, isn't that, isn't that weird that a guy, like an old man, like his his kid whose kids can't piss him off? Yeah. And I go, my whole theory's off. And it's his kids, they were twins. I'm, I'll never forget. They walk in the door, they grab his stereo, they put Wu Tang Clan <laughs> on the stereo, and he's, I see this guy with the fucking mohawk put his fingers in his ears. Goes, Turn that sh- fucking shit off, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it, it, it always fucking works. See, I won't do you that can- to my kids. I, I like my my son put on some playlist that he made. It's all hip hop stuff, and he and he said to me like, he goes, I was afraid to play this in front of you because I thought you would make fun of it. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm just stoked you're listening to music. You know, listen to whatever you want. Listen to whatever floats your boat. And I said, listen, I've already poisoned your mind. Like, you're going to hit like 32 years old, and all of a sudden, all you're going to listen to is Buck Owens because I played that shit since you know yeah. since you've been born. Trust me, it's going to happen because that's what happened to me. Um, but it's funny, man. Like, like I had this conversation with all my kids the other day. We were hanging out at home, and I was like, because you don't see the divisions of in in 
with the kids anymore. Like either I, I drop my kids off at school and there's no punker kids running around. There's no metal kids. There's no, you know, whatever that all those little divisions that existed when we were growing up are, it's, they've all just been kind of blended into one thing. Yeah, that's, that's what I was kind of, I was saying too about a country. The other, I was having this conversation, I think with a journalist talking about, you know, the big stars of, like you yeah. forget that as far as America goes, like the big stars of country, say Miranda Lambert, Dirk Bentley. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even compare to like a Kendrick Lamar or like a, a Kim Kardashian. I'm saying like that. Oh, really? That's public perception. I don't think, like, I don't think most of mainstream America knows who Dirk Bentley is. Really? I see. I would think people like that or Brad Paisley or some of the guys that have really Brad Paisley. They know. I think from literally from commer- the commercials and mm. maybe like hosting the shows. But people people know Miranda Lambert from dating Blake Shelton because he's mm. on TV. It's like people are just so interested in social media and fucking right. television. And well, shit. this is the thing, and this is the thing that I said to my kids. I was like, don't you guys want to be the cool kids at school that know about all the, the underground shit? Like, you've got me, well, don't and I can get- hip you to all the good shit. Don't you want to be, like, like young punk rock kids and, like, do that thing? And, and like, you know, I could totally, you well, know, push like, you uh, in the right direction. And they're but, just like, no, what are you I talking about? I'm already about? seeing the pair, like, my dad. Like, don't you want to be the one guy who's, like, can listen to... Can say he listens to Lee Greenwood, you know. <laughs> right. And while, my, while my friends are listening to Danzig, it yeah, just doesn't, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't fucking work that yeah. way, unfortunately. I mean, that's the one thing. That, like, I'm I'm happy that my kids, whatever they listen to, it's 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 cute because like my oldest is just listening to hip hop nonstop. My middle guy, because of his little music class at school, he's listening to The Police and Zeppelin right now. See, that's awesome. But that's only because he's learning those songs in his, his, in his thing. But I'm, I'm like, great. And then my youngest is listening to uh, Japanese anime cartoon theme songs, which are crazy. It sounds <laughs> How like... How do you even get into that? I, I don't know. Who the hell knows? It's just what somehow he's into that. So they're all kind of doing their own different things. And I'm just happy that they like to listen to music, so I'm not going to bug them too much about it. But the, the one thing that concerns me is I always had a sort of a, a desire to listen to underground music, whatever it was, underground metal, underground punk, what, whatever the fuck it was. And still... Because like, I used to love the Ghetto Boys, like kind of under... It was, there, I guess they're on a big label, but like it was considered underground hip hop because right. it was so crazy and right, like, yeah. fucking dirty. Like, like I, just, I just want them, I want them to find... That shit, because to me, and maybe whatever, I, I try not to push this on my kids too much, but that's where the best shit usually is, is kind of percolating. To, to, that's my taste. You know? Yeah, but is it, is it, is it cool? It's like, do kid, the kids at school know that like their dad is in the Foo Fighters? Is that like a, a big thing? Or if they're into hip hop, do they not care? Um, I, I don't know. because I mean, I know that some of the kids, you know, know that, you know, who the Foo Fighters are. I know that I'm in it. But, but it's funny because my... <laughs> Because if you're if they're all into hip hop, maybe they don't give a fuck. Yeah, they probably don't. And it's L.A. and like everybody's dad is a movie star and a, a this and a that, or runs a studio that, or yeah. what. You know what I mean? So it's like in the in that sort of the people that they're used to sort of seeing as parents so, at school. I'm I'm probably pretty low on that like celebrity so, list. Really? So you when know? you like when when Foo's play L.A., you don't have to you're you don't have to get like twenty tickets for your kids' friends. Not yet. That hasn't happened yet. But it's funny because you know my my oldest has an Instagram you know, account. Yeah. And he posted this rad picture of himself at this camp thing, like doing this big jump off a of sand dune. And I hadn't seen it. And I, and I saw that and, and I have never, you know, liked a photo or commented on it, but I, I, I commented on his photo when I saw it and I said like radical or that's awesome or whatever. Radical and I, I like, as soon as I pressed, you know, send my phone rang and it was him and he just goes, dad, we, we got a problem. Oh, that's, cool. that's fun. He goes, don't ever comment 
on my on my posts. Like, don't do it. And then he then he goes, well, you know, my my friends will see that your account is is authorized. Like, it's got the blue little tick. And he's like, so I mean, that'll be cool. But just don't ever post like on there. He gets followers, you mean? Right, yeah, like this. Like, so I don't know. Like, maybe that means something. Well, whoever that is, uh, you know, is authorized. At least, at least he has didn't, like, at least that seems at least better than, like, him calling you and asking, hey, can you get Grohl to, like, comment on my photo? <laughs> right, or something yeah, like that. He definitely hasn't gone that direction. Yeah, but that would have <laughs> that, that pissed me off. Like, uh. f- fuck him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I do, I mean, this is by far the longest talk I've had, which is great. Because maybe I won't have to do my intro. What time is it? Oh, shit. I got to go. You got to take off? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, see, I guess I was going to figure out how to end it. I guess the best way to end it is you looking at your phone saying, fuck, I got to take <laughs> off. Uh, well, let's, let's, just, let's just fucking end it. Huh. Um, Boom. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Well, that's it for this week's uh, Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Got a lot of cool shit coming up. Just texted my manager. We're trying to make a Wheeler Walker Jr. pocket pussy. So look out for that if we can get it made. And um, uh, see you fuckers later.